right, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to James chapter 5. Thank you, worship team, choir, for leading us in worship today and Darrell, that last song. I want you to know that that is exactly what I sound like. When I'm in my car by myself singing to the Lord, that's what I sound like. James chapter five. <laughs> I have, uh, since high school, uh, I have stu- uh, struggled with migraines. Uh, they are uh, debilitating and have been a real thorn in my flesh ever since uh, I can remember. I get everything that comes with them, the, the nausea, the uh, the aura, uh, I've got to get in a dark room, and I've got to have it completely silent. And it wasn't until a few years back that I actually uh, got some medicine prescribed to me that finally worked. I went to the neurologist, and they performed some scans, and I'm happy to announce that they found a brain. It was a good day. It's there, I promise you. And uh, they did some tests, and uh, What they found, just as we were getting talking, was there were several triggers that would trigger these migraines. Uh, One was stress. That's a wonderful trigger to have when you're a pastor. No stress with this job. Uh, Another one uh, was a change in sleep patterns. If I would, you know, stay up late or wake up earlier than a normal routine, that could trigger one. Too much chocolate or too much sun. So those are things that I I needed to kind of watch and be careful about. And uh, other than that, the doctor, he gave me a prescription and he said, you go get this medicine, explain the medicine to me. And he said, whenever you feel one of those migraines coming on, uh, you just immediately take this and uh, let's see how that work. And other than, uh, you know, for the most part, it's been very helpful. Uh, I never leave home uh, without my migraine uh, medicine. And it has been really good for the most part. It's amazing that a simple prescription... Uh, The right amount of medicine, taken exactly how it is prescribed, helps me when a headache is on the horizon. Uh, We've been looking at this letter in our New Testament, the book of James, for the last 13 weeks. We come to the conclusion today. And James has been writing this congregation that he loves. Remember, he's a pastor and his people, his congregation, because of persecution, have been spread out, kicked out of their homes, dispersed far and wide. And we're going to close our time out today, and James closes this letter out today, speaking about the importance of prayer in the life of a believer. I'm calling the message a prescription called prayer. And just like going to the doctor and getting prescription for my headaches, James is going to give a prescription today for what to do when our heart aches. Flows straight out of the messages that we've looked at. This is one big letter and it works together. I really encourage you, as I always do, if you missed any of the messages, go online, download our app, listen to the messages that you missed because they just build on top of one another. And what we've seen is these believers are in a tight spot. They're in a trial, they're in a trouble, they're in a hardship. They're walking through some adversity, going through some difficulty and pain. And last week we looked at it. James said, when you're in this, you need to be patient. Just wait on the Lord. He's he's working in you. He's doing something in this. He gave them in verse 8 this this command to to be firm, to not give up, to not waver, to not throw in the towel. And he just continues with this challenge and this encouragement and this admonition 
And the entire thrust of this section of scripture we're looking at today is he wants us to be prayerful. And so beginning in James 5, starting in verse 13, listen to what the Bible says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now I brought one of my prescriptions here with me. And using my uber creative genius skills right here, I want us to look at this label. And on this label, it has the name of the medicine. It tells you what it is. It tells you how often you should take it. It gives you some helpful information, some warnings on the label, if you will. And what I wanna do is look at this label and just use it as an outline for the message today. First, I wanna answer the question, what is prayer? When a doctor prescribes you medicine, you wanna know exactly what it is you are taking. And James tells us what prayer is. He's mentioned prayer already in this letter on two different occasions. The first was James chapter one, verse five, the first part. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. That's prayer. James chapter four, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask. That's prayer. Eight times in the verses that we read today, the word pray or a form of the word pray is used. And James, evidently, he knew something about prayer. Now think with me on this. He was the half-brother of Jesus, and so he was raised with Jesus. As noted earlier in this series, many scholars believe that James, the book, is just a commentary on the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. No doubt, James would have heard this teaching. He would have seen Jesus pray. And so he, he listened to prayer. He saw prayer modeled. Uh, it had a tremendous impact, left an indelible mark on his life. Eusebius, uh, an early church historian in the 300s, wrote concerning the person of James, gives us some insight into who he is. Listen to what he said about James. His knees grew hard like a camel because of his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking forgiveness for the people. How would you like that for a nickname? Camel knees. Because you spent so much time in prayer, author and pastor Kent Hughes gives some additional insight into this. He wrote, just like a laborer's hands testify to his occupation or a runner's feet to his training, James' callous knees testified to a life of serious prayer. This past week, I had the opportunity 
on Monday to go to Liberty University and I was speaking at the staff convocation there. And I always loved my time uh, at Liberty. I spent six years there working on my uh, doctoral dissertation and doctorate of ministry. And every week that I spent there was like a mountaintop experience. I'm telling you, the classes were wonderful. The professors were all practitioners. Their motto was knowledge on fire. And I loved my time there. One seminar that I took, it was a week-long seminar, was on prayer. And for a solid week, We did nothing but talk about prayer. We studied the great prayers of the Bible. We took apart the Lord's Prayer. We prayed together for one week. It was nothing but prayer. Dr. Elmer Towns was my professor teaching this seminar, and he gave a definition on the first day of that class that has always stayed with me. He simply defined prayer as this. Prayer is relationship. In its most simplest form, this is what prayer is. Just as breathing is normal to the human, you didn't think about doing it, you're not commanding your body to do it, it is natural. It just does it or you die. So too is prayer natural for the believer. It's relationship. And any relationship, by definition, involves communication. It's talking. And it's listening. This is prayer. We read about prayer early in the Old Testament. We know Adam and Eve had uninterrupted fellowship with God before the fall, before sin. After sin, Cain kills Abel. And the scriptures tell us this about prayer. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, the second part. At that time, People began to call upon the name of the Lord. Way back then is when this practice of prayer started. It was calling upon the name of the Lord. It's been said, it's pretty cheesy, but I'll give it to you, that God's phone number is Jeremiah 33.3. And the scripture says, call to me and I will answer you. And will tell you great and hidden things you have not known. So I just want you to step back today and just think about this. That the God of the universe, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, spoke this world, all that we see and know into existence simply by the power of his spoken voice. That God invites us into a relationship with him. And that relationship is maintained and it grows and it becomes more intimate by calling upon his name through prayer. It's what's prescribed to the believer that is facing hardship and heartache. It is a prescription called prayer. Now, let's look at how often we should pray. I have a number of prescriptions. This one right here says take one to two tablets by mouth every day at bedtime. Uh, Others say take one tablet when the symptoms occur. Well, James is gonna do the same thing here. He doesn't just give us a prescription. He tells us how often we should take it. That's verse 13, look at it. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. He covers the whole gamut of life. Suffering would cover the low times in life. 
Being cheerful would, dis- would characterize the high times in life. And he said, whether you're low or whether you're on a high, you need to pray. Let him pray. It's in its present tense. We could read it like this. Let him who is praying keep on praying. It's this idea of continually calling upon the name of the Lord. Jesus taught about prayer in one of his parables, and he mentions the same idea of just praying all of the time. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Paul wrote about prayer several times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Always pray. Ephesians 6, great passage on the armor of God. He concludes that passage. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Like me with my migraine pills, never leaving home without them. That is how we should be with prayer. We take prayer with us everywhere we go. In the bad times, pray. In the good times, sing praise, which is simply prayers put to a melody. Our worship, that's all it is. It is prayers put to a melody. Either way, we're staying connected to God all of the time. There is not a moment that goes by, that we're not calling upon the name of the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes for the believer, it's a mixture of both at the same time. Isn't that amazing how Christians, we kind of live in the middle of suffering and cheerfulness. We can be going through the darkest night of the soul we've ever been through, And at the same time, being cheerful on the inside, rejoicing because we know God is working his plan. He is being glorified. You remember Paul and Silas? They were in that prison in Acts chapter 16. You could chain their hands and their feet, but you couldn't chain their heart. They were in a tough spot. Talk about a difficulty. Chain in prison. You know what the scripture says they were doing? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were in a time of suffering. But you know what else they were doing? Singing hymns to God, praising God, because his name, they knew, was being glorified. Now I want you to think about how different this advice is than what the world gives us. James says, in a tough spot, I want you to pray. Um, It's coming off of last week, where he says, don't grumble, don't complain at God and to others about what's going on in your life. Don't be negative, don't be irreverent. He says, pray, sing praises. Now, what's interesting when you study this passage, verse seven through 12, is all about the Lord working patience. I think seven times the word patience or steadfastness is mentioned in verses seven through 12. And then you read verses 13 through 20, and it's all about prayer. Isn't it interesting that you can't be patient without prayer? Some of you have prayed for patience. Now looking at my prescription here, there are a few warnings given on the label. And I'll just read some of them to you. Uh, This one says, may make you drowsy. Uh, It says, use care when operating a vehicle. It's a good, helpful piece of advice right there. Uh, Don't take this medicine without checking with your doctor or pharmacist, done. Don't take with other medicines. You have all these warnings, all this helpful information right here on the label. Well, James, is it 
relates to this prescription called prayer, he gives us some helpful information as well. And I just want to show you three specific uh, bits of uh, information here that helps us as we consider prayer, okay? I see three from this passage of Scripture. The first bit of helpful information is this, pray with others. We read this in verses 14 and 16. Look what the Scripture says. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And we're gonna camp out on this for just a moment because this text can bring up some questions with it. What does that mean to be anointed with oil? What does it mean to be healed, to confess our sins to others? But before we do that, don't miss the big picture. I talk when I disciple people and when I talk to them about Bible study. Oftentimes people wanna get into the details and they don't understand us. Don't, Don't miss the big picture. And the big picture of what James is teaching here is that we need to pray with others. There's great power in what is called intercessory prayer that we pray with one another and we pray for one another. I want you to notice there is a shift in this passage of scripture that goes from personal prayer to corporate prayer. Personal prayer is important, it is beneficial. Praise God for personal prayer. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Thank you God for Jesus who allows us, gives us boldness and courage to enter the throne and pray. It is a good thing to be able to personally pray, to pray for yourself and to pray for others. But I praise God, and this is what the scripture's alluding to here, is that there are times in life when personal prayer just isn't doing it. And you need the body of Christ to pray for you. There are times when we are sick, the Bible says. The word can also be translated as weak. In some cases, it refers to physical illness disease. Uh, Let me give you some examples of this. Luke chapter four, verse 40, the text will be on the screen for you. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick, there it is, with various diseases, physical illness, they brought them to Jesus, he laid his hands on them and every one of them, and he healed them. Acts chapter nine, verse 37, speaking of Dorcas, in those days she became ill, she became physically sick the Bible says, and it resulted in her death. These are just two instances where this sick is translated as physical illness. But again, it can also be translated as weak or feeble. Paul uses the same New Testament word, Romans chapter 14, verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith. Welcome him in. He's not a strong believer. He's weak in his faith. Make sure you're hospitable to him. Welcome him in. Don't shun them. In 1 Corinthians, the weaker brother argument, the fact that we should not do anything that would cause a brother or sister to sin. Paul says, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. Same word. You sin against Christ. So context determines how we translate this word. And most of our versions, I believe, get it right when it calls it sickness. But I wanna remind you, sickness can refer to something as serious as cancer or the flu. But it can also refer to something like depression 
or mental anguish. In other words, this word and the way that you use it are pretty closely aligned. They're not too far apart to be sick and to be weak. Isn't it true that physical sickness will often make us weak spiritually? We get that word from the doctor and it spins us out and we become weak spiritually. It's hard to believe, it's hard to pray. And the opposite is true. Sometimes we can be weak spiritually, sick spiritually, living in sin and it results in physical illness. We'll talk more about this here in just a moment. What James is saying here is listen, when you're sick, when you're weak, sometimes personal prayers aren't enough. What you need to do is call the elders of the church and have them pray over you. And I want you to notice, it is the responsibility of the one who is sick to call the elders and to request them to come and pray. Now, I was writing this message, and this is just a point of clarity here. Our church does an amazing job at visiting our members when they're in the hospital. I mean, I see it all the time. If you're a member of Champion Forest and you're in the hospital and we know about it, and that's key, we gotta know about it. I'm getting there. Uh, You'll get sick of seeing us. Our pastors are coming through there, our deacons are coming through there, our life group leaders are coming through there. And we take this this role to minister to you in your weakness, in your sickness, very seriously, but we gotta know about it. And so I just wanna give a commercial right here in the middle of this message for life groups. Because this is why breaking this big church down into small groups is so very important because chances are, if you are not in a life group and you get sick and you're in the hospital, we don't even know you're there. Um, And I say that to say that If I'm sitting here talking and you say, well, you didn't come see me, the question I have is, did we know about it? I understand some people want to keep their sickness. It's it's private. Others of you, you you don't, you know, maybe you don't want people feeling sorry for you. You don't want any pity. You don't want to put people out. You don't want to be reminded that you're sick. So, So you don't tell anyone, okay, I understand all of that. But my point is this, if we've dropped the ball and hadn't seen you when you've been in the hospital, that's on us and we apologize. We don't want anybody to slip through the cracks. But the point of this passage is, if you're sick and you want prayer, it's on you to call the elders of the church. Then we jump into action and come and pray over you. I've walked in the hospital room before and they've been laying there and said, oh dear Lord, the pastor's here. Am I really that sick? They think they're dying when I walk in. <laughs> I'm going to give them last rites. I'm just there to see them. Pray over them. It's a picture here, this praying together. It, it, it's, it's kind of that picture that is painted for us in Mark chapter 2 when that paralyzed man can't get to Jesus. He's sick. He's weak. And what happens? His three friends, four friends come together and they say, we're gonna get our friend to Jesus. And they lower that hole in that roof and they lower their friend down to Jesus. This is a picture that's being painted here as it relates to praying together. You're praying personally, but you just need something more. 
You need to pray with others. And look at what James added in verse 14. If anyone is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over them. Look at this, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, what is James talking about here? Anointing with oil. There are a few different ideas to this, and I think all of them have merit. First is oil was used for medicinal purposes in the Bible. I could give you a ton of scripture references for this. Probably the best example is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember Jesus telling that story? A man is beaten and robbed and left for dead and a certain Samaritan, the Bible doesn't even call him a Good Samaritan, it says a certain Samaritan, comes by and he begins to minister to him and listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10, verse 34. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And so it was used for medicinal purposes. And just a, just a, just a point here to make, God can heal us through prayer, and he also can heal us through medicine. James chapter one, verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So the medical community, you nurses and you doctors in the room, those of you that are helping people get stronger and helping people using medicine to do it, you are a good gift from above. And God can use not just prayer, but medicine to make you better. Gifts from above. I won't stay here long, but I think closely followed to this whole idea of elders of the church, the authority of the church, anointing with oil, bringing healing, bringing refreshment, Uh, can um, speak to different ministries that are under the auspices of the church. Ministries that bring relief, ministries that bring healing. So like we have ministries around here like the CMC that is giving food to the homeless. That 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 is anointing with oil. That is bringing refreshment to our community. We have classes like debt elimination classes and divorce care. Uh, that bring healing. It's it's like the anointing of oil. I want you to pray for us as a senior team. We've really been thinking about this and we're praying about what does it look like for Champion Forest to be known to be a healing place for people. What I mean by that is is all types of addictions and brokenness. What What if we just expand our ministries in such a way to our community that if you're lonely and you're hurting and you're broken, you know you can come to Champion Forest and the the anointing oil of the Lord, the refreshment of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit is gonna be here. We're we're thinking about that. So, So pray for us on what that looks like into the future. A third way that this can be looked at is this reference uh, of anointing with oil is to be consecrated uh, by the Holy Spirit. So you look in the Old Testament, Aaron, his sons, the priests, they were consecrated, they were anointed with oil to serve God there. You look at David when he was anointed king by Samuel, what, what did he do? They anointed his head with oil. Jesus, time and time again in the New Testament, the Bible says that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So when the elders of the church gather and anoint someone with oil, and we will do this whenever called upon. Uh, When we do this, there's nothing magical about the oil. It's just like there's nothing magical about the waters of baptism. If you get in baptism and you ain't saved, you just got wet. So there's nothing magical about the oil. Uh, What it is is an outward symbol of a spiritual reality. When we anoint someone who is sick with oil or weak with oil, it is symbolizing that this person is being set apart by the Holy Spirit, totally entrusted to him. 
And so we anoint with oil, verse 14, but look at it, in the name of Jesus. This is what is most important. We are setting this person aside, consecrating them, saying, God, this person is yours. We trust you to make them well. And as we'll see in just a moment, it doesn't mean just physical wellness. Before we get into that, though, talking about praying with others, notice confession is involved in this. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession of sin is good for the soul. Talking about sin making you physically ill, listen to what David wrote in Psalm 32. He said, when I kept silent, when I did not confess my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So physically, sin was making him sick. Not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. And then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so we see in this passage of scripture that there is some sin in our life that can cause us to become physically sick, emotionally weak, spiritually weak, Not all physical illness is caused by sin, but certainly some of it is. Today, we took the Lord's Supper. Do you remember Paul's warning concerning taking the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Listen to verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What he's saying is you take the Lord's Supper in a, in a casual way where you don't seriously consider the sacrifice of Christ and what it does for you. You take it and you just think you can live life on your own terms, do your own thing. You do it in a flippant way. Look at what the scripture says. This is why many of you are weak. There's the word. You're ill, and some have died. So you could be sick because of the choices that you've made in life. You could be sick because of an attack from Satan. That was Job last week. You could be sick because it's given to you by God. Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, and three times I asked it to be removed, and three times the Lord said no. Ultimately, all sin is a result of the fall. Regardless of why you're sick, what's important is that you don't waste your sickness. And the way that you don't waste it is you draw near to God in prayer. We call upon the name of the Lord. We confess our sins to him, and confession restores fellowship with God. You sin, you don't fall out of a relationship with God if you're a child of Christ, but that fellowship is broken. And 1 John says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of our sin is ultimately against God, and therefore we confess our sins to him. However, James is saying that there is power 
in confessing our sins corporately. Now that doesn't mean getting a megaphone and standing out on the lawn and airing your dirty laundry for all to hear. Let me give you a general rule for confession of sin. If it's a private sin between you and the Lord, then it's private confession between you and the Lord. If it's a personal sin against someone else, you offended them, they offended you, you go to that person and you make it right. If it's public sin, then it's public confession. Confession has the power to break or has the ability to break the power of sin in our lives. There's something very beautiful about taking that which is dark and exposing it to the light. There is healing power in confession. And talking about our, 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 our prayer lives, listen, our walks with the Lord are personal, but they were never meant to be private. We're meant to do community with one another. That's why we do life groups. That's why we break it down out of this big church and get together and same age and phase of life. We're meant to do community with one another. This is why praying with others is so important. If I had time, I would go into verses 19 and 20. This is what it's hinting at, that we have a responsibility toward one another. If you see someone that you have a relationship with and they're wandering from the faith, we're in this together. You have a responsibility to go and bring them back. We're in it together. Helpful information as it relates to this prescription of praying. Pray with others. Secondly, pray with faith. Look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. When we pray, it's important that we pray with faith. James wrote about this in chapter one. Remember 13 weeks back, chapter one, verse six through eight. But let him ask, let him pray in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we pray in faith. We anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. Praying in faith. Hear this. Praying in faith is not praying for a specific outcome and just believing that it's going to happen. Praying in faith is praying to a God that you know and trust, believing that he wants what is best for your life, knows what is best for your life, and will do what is best for your life. That's what praying in faith is. We mentioned last week, God works in mysterious ways. And we can be confident that he is working his plan and his purposes in our life. Like Job, if we are children of God, nothing touches the child of God without first filtering through his holy hands. And praying in faith is knowing this and believing this. So in your prayers, if you're sick, if you have a disease, you ask the Lord to do what you want him to do. He knows your heart. It's not like you're gonna fake him out anyway. So God, I want your physical healing in my life. I ask for you to remove this cancer. I ask for you to do a miracle. You pray what is on your heart, but praying in faith, praying in his name is saying, God, this is what I want, but you know what I want more? Your glory. What I want more is you to be made much of. 
This is the prayer of faith. A word about healing here. We read verse 15. If we pray the prayer of faith, the Lord will raise us up. Verse 16, if we confess our sins, you may be healed. We read it and it sounds like if we do this formula, if we pray in faith, believing, and if we pray in his name, then God has to answer in the way that I want. And healing is what I want. Well, this verse, this passage is not to be read as some divine guarantee, as some deal that if you do this, then God's obligated to do this. I mean, just think about it. If, we, if, if God healed every person that we prayed for in faith, we'd never die. Again, Paul, the greatest missionary to ever live, Three times, God, remove this thorn from my flesh, remove this thorn from my flesh, remove this thorn from my flesh. And every time God said, how about I give you grace in my presence to deal with it? He didn't answer his prayer in the way that he wanted. And if you pray with faith and don't get the answer that you want, don't believe for a second what some people will say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. That's bad theology. It's not accurate. Don't let anyone convince you, if I'd have just had more faith, then I would have been physically healed. The Bible mentions nothing about the size. The only thing the Bible says about the size of faith is that if you had the size of faith, the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed we have, you can say to that mountain, be moved into the heart of the sea, and it'll be moved into the heart of the sea. It's not about the amount of faith you have. It's the size God that you have. And so praying in faith, Praying in his name and saying, God, you're a big God. I know you love me. I know you have plans for my life and a purpose that you're working. And I want, Lord, this is what I want. But just like Jesus, it is not a cop out to say, not my will, but yours be done. God, I want your will to be done. That's praying in faith. That's trusting God. R.A. Torrey said, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. So prayer is the prescription. We take it all the time. We pray with others. We pray with faith. Third and finally, we pray with fervency. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person. Now, a righteous person is both, both positional and practical. We are only righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross and in the resurrection. So if you think, well, I'm not a righteous person. If you're a believer in Christ, you're righteous. But there's also a practical element to righteousness. We're not perfect, but it's progressive. And he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And he gives this example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. How should we pray fervently? It's a word that signifies intensity. Some of your Bibles translated as earnestly. It could literally be read, he prayed with prayer. It's prayer on top of prayer. Does this word describe your prayer life? Is it fervent? Is it intense? James is quick to mention about Elijah, and I love this. 
He said, Elijah, who called down fire. He said, Elijah had a nature just like ours. What he's saying is he's not a super saint. He's not in this classification by himself. None of the Old Testament saints are. Paul in Romans would write, chapter 15, verse four, for whatever was written in the former days, look at this, I love this, was written for our instruction and that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is one of the reasons that studying your Bible is so beautiful. That's why it's so important. Because when you study the scripture, you see men and women who are going through incredible hardship and difficulty, and yet they stood strong in their faith. And if they did it, they have a nature just like ours, breathing the same air we, we can too. You read the scripture, you see men and women making decisions by faith, their eyes are on the Lord. And we look at that and that should encourage us. We can make those kind of decisions, we can too. We look at men and women who are trusting God in the face of the impossible. And we say, you know what? We can trust God too. We look at Elijah who prayed earnestly and fervently and we look at his life, a nature just like ours, and we can say, we can pray that way too. We don't have to be beaten down by life. We can walk in victory. We can live in victory. But to do this, we gotta make up our minds today that we're gonna take this prescription called prayer. And I hope that this little illustration, every time you go to take some medicine, I hope it reminds you to call on the name of the Lord because when you take this prescription called prayer, there is nothing that we can't endure. There is nothing that we can't go through. Our eyes are on the Lord and he is working his plan and purposes in our life. This is the message of James. A prescription, a prescription called prayer. So I want us to pray. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.